Assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you, and welcome to another edition of the Mississippi on the Move podcast. I am your brother Abdul Shahid Muhammad. And I'm your brother Kenneth Muhammad. And we are actually live on location. We are in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, and we are in attendance at a very, very special program tonight. We're live, uh, mobile, on location, and we're attending a documentary and panel discussion 
on a documentary that I watched earlier today, Brother Kenneth, is entitled Redeemable Son. It's a story of a juvenile lifer in Tennessee. And that lifer is a young man, well, he was a younger man, but he's still a young man relatively, by the name of Quentin Sanders. And we're here at Shady Grove Presbyterian Church as a, a, a sanctuary filled with people. We're off to the side in a little cubby hole. We're going to have some of the participants uh, on the panel to come before us uh, before the evening gets away from us. And Brother Kenneth, before I go any further, let me start right in the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful. We bear witness to the oneness of God, the oneness of his prophets, and the oneness of the messages revealed through them. We are spiritually mature people. We don't argue over the names by which God is known. We just call him by the name Allah, and that's not to exclude any other name by which the divine creator is known. We greet you in peace. As-salamu alaykum. Brother Kenneth, man, what about tonight, man? What what, what you think? I think this is something that is long overdue. Um, I don't know. I don't like the way my mic sounds in my ear. I don't uh, either, brother. So uh, let's make sure we get that right because... Uh, every word is important, especially at this event. I don't want to waste a lot of time, but uh, when I was invited to the event, uh, my schedule uh, was as such that I didn't know I was going to be able to make it. Uh, Quentin Sanders and uh, myself, uh, we go a long ways back, and his story while it's getting, that sounds a lot better, while it is getting the publicity now that it deserves um he is yes. i want to say the face of a problem that is going on in the tennessee department of corrections and um i was fortunate enough to work with some of the groups that are here and the thing that you know a lot puts you in the right place at the right time and they're doing a wonderful job trying to bring to life a serious problem that um, I would love for everyone to just take a moment and just to think what it would be like to be 15 years old, a child, wake up in a prison hospital, go through the process, be bound over it as an adult, even though we all know that you have to be 18 to buy cigarettes. Uh, you can't vote until you're a certain age. 15, you can't do anything. You can't even get a driver's license. Yet, here in Tennessee, they bind over nearly 77% of juveniles. And here in Shelby County, you know, 100% of those that are bound over are African American. Yes. And this is not an accident. So Quentin Sanders, and I spoke with his mother uh, about a week ago, and I said, you know, uh, Miss Betty, I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. And then I was watching the documentary again, and it, it just started weighing on me, and I sent it to you. Yes. And then I said, hey, let's, we got to get here. Yes, because sir. these the people here are doing a yeoman's work, but sadly... Unless you have a celebrity mm. attached themselves, the Johnny Depp's, the you know of that type, the West Memphis Three, mm -hmm. uh, these stories don't get the traction it deserves. And once you um, and we're going to send out the documentary. The name of the documentary is Redeemable Son. Yes. And when you just look at it, the circumstances, 
of course, uh, was tragic. But we have to ask ourselves, our children, 15 years old, who make a mistake, who error, even though it ends in, in the loss of life, are they irredeemable? Mm. Are they to the degree where you can throw lock, the, uh, lock them up and throw away the key? Yes, and I want to say that um, we have to really, really find our humanity with these particular issues. So I'm glad that we're free enough, uh, Brother Shaheed, that our podcast, we control the platform and we can get this word out to all of our people. And, um, I, you know, hopefully while the night is going on, can give you more and more background because I am intimately uh, close to Brother Quentin and uh, a lot of the uh, facts and circumstances, you know, I am privy to because of our relationship. You know, I haven't done time together. And so... Um, what I'm not giving you is something that I read in a book or heard about, something that I, I lived through and experienced with this young man. So mm -hmm. I can offer a perspective that, you know, nobody in this building can offer. Mm -hmm. And that young man uh, that came in at 15, now he's 42, going on 43, mm -hmm. is not the same individual mm -hmm. that, you know, made that error all those years ago. Yes, sir. And I'm so glad you're here, brother, because... Uh, I hope people paying attention to the fact that you have a perspective on this issue that's unique and uh, no one else can give the kind of perspective that one can give who lived it uh, for the time uh, that you were with the brother. And strangely enough, um, I'm kind of, uh, I have an indirect link to this in that I understand the environment. I was looking at the documentary, brother, and you told me before you sent me the link. You said, man, he grew up in the same hood you grew up in. Yes, sir. So when I looked at it, brother, it hit home. It hit hard. And I went back through the Rolodex of my memories of living in what was then called Chazita Gardens. Yes, sir. And it was the kind of environment, brother, and my mother was fortunate to get us and my siblings out uh, and we moved really just down the street into a house instead of an apartment and uh, I remember the harshness of the environment I remember police cars coming in roughing us up for nothing I remember as a juvenile doing the things that I did we used to throw rocks at police cars because <laughs> we did too brother we, <laughs> we did too we used to hide right down there by the harbor house right there on Elsie Road man and we got in trouble for it. We got caught. We hit some man's car one night. But, man, I just, in a flood of emotions, just hit me, man. I was like, because I lost three brothers. Uh, my youngest brother was killed violently, gunshot to the head. My oldest brother was beaten up and died from his injuries. And my uh, second oldest brother died of years of drug use. And uh, all of us grew up. Well, uh, my youngest brother didn't. We had a different father. But that environment, and I consider myself very, very, very fortunate. Uh, myself and one of my, my, set, my third oldest brothers made it out. And we're the last two. And my two sisters, my oldest sister died of year of cancer. And there's a high incident of cancer in that neighborhood, in that neighborhood because exactly. we're right by the Army Depot. Yes, sir. And uh, Agent Orange was dumped over there. My father died of cancer. So, man, it, it's been... And when I went through that in my mind, Brother Kenneth, I just <laughs> that's why I sent you that text, man. I was I had to get up and leave my desk for a minute, you know, to step out. 
because, you know, I, you kind of block those things to some degree, and I didn't realize it until I was watching the footage of Jazita Gardens. I knew every cut. Yes, sir. Every cut. We used to flip on a dirty mattress in the hood, <laughs> like my sister say in her music. Yes. But, uh, Brother Kenneth, thank you for this idea or the suggestion, brother, to get mobile because we have the ability to get mobile. Uh, brother Kenneth has introduced me to some people that are on the team that is helping to bring light to this. I was reading the, uh, the caption on this, Brother Kenneth. It said, children in the state of Tennessee can be sentenced to 60 years life, to a 60-year life sentence with the minimum sentence being 51 years. Yes, sir. Which is the hardest sentence for children in the country. Yes, Tennessee uh, is leading the way in that. And um, the thing is, we have to understand, and I was speaking with um, Sister Dawn Harrington, uh, Executive Director of Free Hearts, and hopefully she'll be able to come on. She does a, a bang-up job, her and her team, uh, that goes in uh, what they call participatory defense. And they are advocates, and I mean real boots-on-the-ground advocates, uh, going to Nashville, traveling all over the state, and they're challenging the lawmakers to set this right. If I may, uh, just kind of give a little background, because you spoke of, of the environment. On uh, Wednesday, I was uh, fortunate enough and blessed, and it was a blessing to um, do a Zoom class for juvenile court. And uh, because of the pandemic, uh, we can't go back in uh, physically. But um, I used to work, uh, do work down there volunteering with uh, uh, Brother Derek, you know, Big Chuck. But long story short, um, they have with all of those juveniles in two different facilities, you got juvenile court, you got jail east. And they have one counselor. <laughs> and so, you know, I said, well, brother, I'll do what I can to, you know, help you out. But anyway, we, I taught a class and, and took questions and realized that, you know, you're talking to children. And we have to understand that environment shapes heredity. So let us ask ourselves the environment that most of those that are uh, locked up in juvenile court and jail east for whatever crime, you know, they grew up in. We can't minimize that because images, words, you know, conduct and activity shape and mold you. And many of those that I, I listened to and took their questions, they have no reality outside of the neighborhood. That's mm -hmm. all they see. And it is really, a, they grow up in war zones. Mm -hmm. And all of these things affect your decision making, affect the people you hang out with, yeah, and it affects everything. So fast forward now, you were 15 in Memphis, Tennessee, Shelby County, under mm -hmm. Amy Weirich, and yes. we have a new DA now, uh -huh. and he's here. Right. And he's maybe here. we can he's get him on uh, Mississippi on a move and, and let us see because we got together and put them in office. And sometimes people tell you what you want to hear to yes. get what they want. Right. But we need results. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this. Uh, when uh, I was sentenced to life mm -hmm. in 1993, the life sentence had uh, evolved into 25 years with the possibility of parole. Uh, it started out here in Tennessee, you know, years ago at 13, then 17, and then 25. It stayed at 25 for a while, but uh, when you go back and look at history, which is best qualified to reward our research, Joe Biden, who was the senator of Delaware, 
got out in front when sponsored a crime bill. Now, we had the brother, uh, I won't say brother, the individual in Texas, you know, to do the, the lion's share of the work, but it was Joe Biden's bill. Mm -hmm. He the one who came up with the language super predator. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that set the stage for this tough on crime. And all of these are uh, dog whistles for putting people of color in place. During the Nixon uh, administration, they used the terminology law and order. You notice that with the, uh, the far right, they used yes. that terminology law and order. That's what right. they're speaking of is that people that don't look like them are advancing too much, mm -hmm. and they must come up with a way to control. And this is what it at the root is all about. Now, I said that to say this. In 1995, when they began to implement, they changed, and it wasn't because of crime or nothing. It was a political move, mm -hmm. you know, uh, get tough on crime. Yes. And they raised it here in Tennessee from 25 to 60 years. That was kind of the years. Mm. The oldest person that ever lived in prison in Tennessee was an individual I know, and he did like 41 years, and he basically got out to die. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at the studies, they say that, you know, the life, the life expectancy is only 30 some odd years because of the environment, for one, is extremely mm -hmm. dangerous. The food is, is depleted of any nutrients. Mm -hmm. You're not getting proper health care. You're not getting proper exercise. Concrete and steel does something to you for walking up and down those steps across those yards over a protracted period of time. Mm -hmm. You are not going to live. 60 years. Now, with the uh, truth and sentencing that you were to, to do 100% of your time. Mm. So meaning if you got 20 years, then you could get good and honor time. The max you could get was 15% off of your time, which means you did 85% of the 20, which was a little over 17 years. So with the 60-year sentence that a 15-year-old got, he will have to do at a minimum 51 years before he would be eligible. That's not a release date. Mm -hmm. That's eligible. And I've seen guys go up for parole. At they do 20 years, go to parole board. They say come back in 20. Good God almighty. This, uh, this, I mean, this is real. And these are the kind of things that go on. So when it's been uh, politically maneuvered into law, even a judge that may want to do the right thing, his hands is tied. Mm. This is what happened to Quintus. Minimum sentencing yeah. guy. Yeah, it's mandatory sentence. It's yes. mandatory when you charge with certain crimes. Right now, there, you know, I was speaking to a group, and there's a, a young man. We'll say his name is a juvenile. They're trying to see how to sentence him. Well, I said, what did he get convicted of? Well, they say he got convicted of first degree murder. I said they're just waiting on the right time to say it. Mm. But there's nothing no judge can do because that sentence is a mandatory sentence unless we have the political will and cachet to change it. And that's why this event is important because Quentin uh, is being talked about, but there are hundreds, thousands of Quentin Sanders locked away in the prison houses of America. And no, and as the scriptures say, none says restore. Isaiah 42. Nobody's talking about, you know, in the Tennessee Department of Corrections, you may not know that the word rehabilitation was taken out uh, decades ago. They mm -hmm. are not interested in rehabilitation. It is housing, warehousing, and we can go on and on and on, but I want to focus 
where the focus needs to be tonight on this 51-year minimum mm. that a child had to do. Now, Quentin Sanders, uh, you, you can Google uh, most of the basic information of Brother Shahid. I got it. I got his actual petition. And and the thing is that uh, the circumstances, uh, you know, were, were tragic. Uh, three uh, youths, mm-hmm. you know, children. Yeah, children. Yeah, three children, brother. They go to the mall and they were just shoplifting, you know, and they were under pressure to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at any rate, uh, when they were suspected of shoplifting, they they left all of the stuff and ran out of the mall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a high-speed chase ensued, and an officer, in trying to stop a, a moving vehicle that was going over 90 miles an hour with his own car, uh, of course, he crashed, and the officer uh, lost his life. A tragedy. Tragic. No, no question about it. No, right. one's, no one's minimizing what's exactly. happened. That's and correct. His or absolving him no. of any responsibility. And, and I want to say this, and I'm going to get to it, uh, hopefully. Uh, no one is more remorseful than he himself, mm-hmm. and and it's not conversation, man. I'm we sitting together, mm-hmm. you know, sitting on a bunk talking. You mm-hmm. know, I, this is real. But what I'm saying is, the other individuals that were involved uh, did their time there out because they, they had a plea agreement. You know, yes. when there's multiple defendants and you may want one more than the other, and the mastermind is the one that they wanted. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, turn states' evidence, you know, they, well they cooperated uh, because sometimes we uh, we'll label a person a, a rat or a snitch, and that's that's not the case with children, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but for whatever reason, they got um, time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quentin didn't, right? And, and they're to, out, right? Yeah, Everyone yeah, is out, out but they, him. He's the only one. He's the only one that's still in there. And when you saw the young man come in, man, I mean, and all of those young men, I mean, they, they, were, they were children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we all did what we could to kind of look out for them because we, we felt bad for them. Mm-hmm. And they did what young people do in prison, try to find their lane, yeah. you know. But they didn't make do anything uh, fatal or harmful. Mm-hmm. And um, spending a lot of time with Quinn, we would talk. And they will weigh on them. People don't understand that there are very few of us who are committed offense that are hardened criminals, cold-blooded killer. No. So you gotta, you have a conscience, and you, you, what you did, you did out of desperation. You, you mm-hmm. tried to do one thing, and something else happened. Mm-hmm. But you go to bed at night, and you can see that individual that you harmed. Mm-hmm. You can hear the voice. You play it over and over and over mm-hmm. in your mind. And there's no mechanism. There's no class. There's no counseling session to get it to you and have you talk to someone to deal with the anxiety and the grief that mm-hmm. you feel. And so you, you carry this stuff around. So this is that brother. He's carrying it around. And so we what we were allowed to do and were blessed to do, we set up peer counseling groups. Uh-huh. And uh, as being an older brother and um, and being over at one of the Islamic communities and he uh, being a Muslim himself, mm-hmm. we would just talk. You know, we spent a lot of time together walking the yard. And, of course, you know, we ended up being in the same uh, room, mm-hmm. you know. And we were just talking. He would say, you know, Big Ock, mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, man, if I could go back to that day, man, I just took my chances with what, you know, dude said. Then going out there and did that, he said, man, he said, it's just a tragic, man. He said, them people lost a the father. They lost a the son. They lost a the brother, uncle. 
He said, man, it just was, he said, it's terrible. He said, man, nobody should suffer like that. He said, well, man, you know, my family's suffering, but, you know, Mr. Overton's family's suffering too. So he's always had his, uh, a sense of contrition. Mm-hmm. He's always been remorseful. He would say, Big Ock, that's what, he, you know, that's what they call me. He said, yes, sir. He said, Big Ock, man, I wish I could talk to him, man. I wish I could let him know how sorry I am. I said, son, you will one day. I said, but you live your life according to that which you desire. Mm-hmm. And then, man, it's going to come to fruition. Yes, sir. And, you know, he was young, so sometimes he'd be playing. And I had to say, hey, man, you know, don't, don't. I said, this ain't no hustle, man. You either want to be free or you don't. Mm-hmm. But you got to think like a free man and live like a free man. I was my model until it happened for me. Mm. And when I talked to him the other day, he said, man, you remember what you told me? I said, no, man, you weren't listening. (laughs) He said, man, you said think like a free man until you become a free man. I said, I said, you got the lesson. So uh, I'm going to put a pen in it right now so you can get in. Oh, brother, look, I am drinking it in. I am getting an education, an intimate one on uh, just an inside glance, you know, because I worked in the field. I was to some degree uh, connected. I knew them. I was working in the Shelby County Jail. I saw them come in, you know, all of them, the juveniles. And I was the officer of the juvenile tanks. So I knew and remember a lot of the young men. And I was in the nation at the time, and I would bring them the final call newspaper. And my lieutenant or my sergeant, floor sergeant, was, you know, she was amenable to allowing it because a lot of them couldn't read. That's true. And she would, uh, uh, her name was Sergeant Jackson. Yeah, this And she would make them, she would give them a reading assignment out of the final call, brother. And that's really where prison ministry started for me. Uh, because uh, as a Muslim, I, I, I had been instilled with a love for black people, whereas before I didn't. Because the environment, as I said earlier, Chazita Gardens, man, you had to, you know, you had to put on a facade, man, to, you know, yeah, you to live be, over yeah, there. You had to be about that life. Yeah, you, you had yeah. To, to live over there. And the thing of it, man, I remember when it happened, they tried to say that uh, they were members of the Nation of Islam. And I actually wrote an article to the Commercial Appeal. I got it on my laptop, I'm going to show it to you, in rebuttal. And in that article, brother, I pleaded for justice and for fair treatment of those children that committed a childish act without the intent. Their intent was to steal some clothes, man. That's a misdemeanor. Yes, sir. They dropped all the clothes before they left. Exactly. Because they were frightened. Like children get frightened when you catch them. And it just so happened in the interim of attempting to escape the consequences of a misdemeanor offense, a tragedy happens. But instead of looking at the tragedy and giving them the appropriate charge, we have always felt that there was a heavy hand put on those young men. It's just that simple, man. Yes, sir, and I'm glad you said that. You know, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad said that justice is the principle of fair dealing one with another. Yeah. And, you know, I'm 18 months. But if, if my offense would have happened 18 months later, Whoa. you know, I, you know I, I could still be sitting there if I wasn't granted, you know, release. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's the margin of error you know and when you think about it you know it, it is it's astonishing that you can sit and legislate and and 
take away 51 years. Now, um, some people that are listening to this will say, well, you know, you did the crime, you should do the time, you know. And to a degree, I understand what you're saying. But however, in most countries, most civilized countries, when someone commits a crime, they consider it a failure of the society. Exactly. And again, uh, Brother Shaheed, one of our axioms, mm-hmm. written by 18th century philosopher by the name of Victor Hugo. Go ahead. He says that if a soul uh, lives in, in darkness, I'm paraphrasing now, sins will be committed. He said the guilty one is not he who commits the sin, but the guilty one is he who creates the darkness. So who is it that has created this darkness, this environment that we see, this this trap house culture, mm-hmm. this, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang. Who, I mean, every every time you cut the television on, somebody's smoking on something. Yes. I remember that thing, well, that was called a counterculture, but now they've uh, mainstreamed, mainstreamed it. it. And we got to ask ourselves why. And that's why last week when uh, Dr. Wesley was yes. on, we could see that it has been weaponized against our youth, black mm-hmm. and white. Yes. And, and when it is done, it has arrested their development. Yeah. And it has made them overly aggressive. And this is the result. And now we're trying to incarcerate ourselves out of the problem. No. And it is not going to happen. Absolutely not, brother. It is not going to happen. We will not. And take it from me. And if the interesting thing, brother, I have a peek on the prison industrial complex side of the fence because I've been blessed and I do certainly consider it a blessing to be a student in the prison reform ministry of the nation of Islam since 1994 and to have lived in the kind of environment that produces the kind of juveniles they're just trying to fit in like any other young person they're trying to navigate their way through a hostile environment. And I was watching a documentary, and I thought it was very hypocritical of Mr. Biden to say, well, I don't want to hear why they got the way they are. But provision is always made for white children and white offenders. Let's look at it for what it is. And it's always easy to hide the key for black people and young people, but there's always empathy where other ethnic groups, particularly whites, are concerned, even with this issue that uh, I'm going to mention in passing where Emmett Till is concerned. Yes. They didn't have a problem in locking up Bill Cosby, an 80-something-year-old blind man. But they had the warrant, still got the warrant, for Carolyn uh, Donham or Bryant Donham, and they convene a grand jury and they don't want to prosecute. See, that this is just sickening, man, how the system is strict for some and loose for others. And and this is the case. They overly sentenced this young man. That has been our position. That's been my position since the day of it, you know, as tragic as it is, notwithstanding what I do professionally. Justice is justice. The fair dealing is fair dealing, period. So Exactly. And and what we have to do is look at it because the documentary that Sister Imani put together and I saw the sister, beautiful sister. I said, you know, I don't know if it's going to get the kind of exposure, and, and we got to do all we can. But this is, should be an award-winning documentary, really. Yes, we're going to put it out. We're going to let the people know. Yeah, going to watch and it. This should be an award-winning documentary because uh, it was very uh, tastefully done. But I want to say, you know, I'm looking at the title, Redeemable Son. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at how 
you know, they say that this generation, this is a lost generation. What do you mean when you say lost? When you look at the word lost, one of the definitions is irredeemable, mm-hmm. irreformable, incorrigible, mm-hmm. hopeless, past praying for. Mm. So now let's just look at uh, Quentin Sanders, you know, Brother Quentin. Are you saying that he's past praying for? Mm. Are we saying that he's hopeless? Are we saying that he is irredeemable, irreformable? This documentary uh, asks the question, a redeemable son, mm-hmm. you know. Well, there's a price for redemption. Yes, well, let, sir. well, let's look at it now. Let's look at it. He comes in at 15, and I've seen them all come in. Many uh, join different street organizations, mm-hmm. and they, they, you know, they, they, they wild out. They do this, they do that. They find themselves in the hole. They get many, many infractions. They add mm-hmm. on to their prison sentence. Uh, many of them get uh, caught up in the subculture of drugs and alcohol or, or, or many of the things that go on in the prison. There's nothing that you do out here that don't go on in there. It's just a smaller environment. It is the microcosm of the macro out here. Mm-hmm. Trust me and believe that. Mm-hmm. However, here's Quentin. He comes in. And he gets his GED. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wasn't reading on his level when he come in. You just you just said that many mm-hmm. of them would be, um, I don't like uh, labeling, but the term that you're familiar with will be functionally mm-hmm. illiterate, yes, you know. But here is a brother that took it upon himself, mm-hmm. you know. And now he's a lover of knowledge. We mm-hmm. was, you know, he got a book stacked up uh, on one side of the wall. I got books on the other, mm-hmm. you know. Now yes, here's sir. a brother that, you know, they don't uh, force you or make you. He did that himself. Mm-hmm. I've seen him. He was been on many, many work crews. I mean, he had a skilled job. He, he's, he's in a skill. He worked in the prison industry in Tennessee. It's called Tricor, mm-hmm. where they make many of the products that's sold out here, and they get paid pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. You see, and then you will get released from prison, brother Andre, and a, and a job you've been doing 15 years mm-hmm. out here. You know they won't even hire you. You know, yeah. and and some of these companies like the Wilson Ball, Spalding, mm-hmm. Dale, all that stuff is made in prison. Yeah. Mother of components made in prison. Man. And and I'm gonna <laughs> tell you something else. When you be on the line and they transfer and you talking to somebody, more likely than not, the person that's on that other side of that phone that's. Uh, uh, dealing with your issue, <laughs> he locked up somewhere. <laughs> and because yes, industry, you know, I'm going to say this, and, and um, I'm not trying to dominate the conversation. Oh, no, sir, brother. Don't even think the thought, man. But I want the people to hear because I'm going to say something in a minute about but, you. But the thing is this, that when you have a workforce that you know can't strike, mm-hmm. you know where they are every day, and even if the prison lockdown, man, they would come to the building and get the tricor workers, you know, that kept going on, you know. Oh, and so he would go to work. And Brother Kent Quentin, he worked. Hello. And Excuse he, us. And he did all of those particular things where mm-hmm. many would just lay around that had that kind of time. Those guys just lay around because they're like, man, what? I ain't never getting out. So man, I'm not participating in anything. But not Brother Quentin. He took cognitive behavior, cage array, you know, thinking for a change, all of these programs that the Department of Correction offers to, quote, unquote, help rehabilitate you, even though that is not the objective. He willingly participated in it. Mm. You know, we uh, were blessed 
through the Nation of Islam Prison Reform Ministry, I would head up certain classes. He mm-hmm. attended all of them. Mm-hmm. Now, he wasn't in the nation per se, but he attended anywhere. Anywhere that he felt he could better himself, you would find him there. And even during the pandemic, he would call me when he was able to get on the phone, and he would say, hey, Big Ock, man, I'm out. And we making these masks. We're going to make 5,000 masks for the community, man, because that COVID is serious out there. People losing their lives. And so, man, uh, I put in a proposal, and then they accepted it. And now we making these masks, and we're going to donate them out there. I said, man, that's man, <laughs> I man. said, brother, that's, that's good. I said, for every good deed, mm-hmm. uh, a person is, is rewarded. But that's the character is what I want to say yes, sir. of the brother that's in there now that got incarcerated as a child mm-hmm. and and with no help except having the will and the desire mm-hmm. to be better mm-hmm. changed and transformed his life and i may add this mm-hmm. i would be shocked if he didn't walk out of there tomorrow with the help of almighty god mm-hmm. that he wouldn't come out here and be an instrument for change for so many others praise be to allah Brother, brother, look, man, I I really want the audience to hear what you're saying simply because, Brother Kenneth, as a student in the prison reform ministry, I I say without hesitation, I've met some very extraordinary brothers between 1994 up to 2022. Some of the best of the black man, brothers and sisters, is hidden away in prison houses. And that's why the scripture in the book of Isaiah 42nd chapter, I would quote it to them. And it says, we are a people that have been robbed and spoiled and they are all hidden in prison houses. They are for a prey, you know, and none say uh, deliver. And for a spoil, none say restore. And what I have experienced over the years that I've attempted to serve as Nation of Islam Student Prison Reform Coordinator out of Mosque 55 was give the brothers a sense of hope. And I would always tell them, brother, some of you, when you leave here, you will be leaders in your own right because you have the skill set, you have the gifts. And I say that to say this about you, brother Kenneth, you are a walking I don't want to use trite language, but for lack of a better term, you are a walking billboard. You are the personification of the transformative power found in the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. If a person would avail themselves to the information and not necessarily become a Muslim, because I know a lot of brothers who would come out to the study class, but they were Christians. They were Sunni brothers. And they left the prison, federal and state that I visited, and they stayed a Christian. But they took the principles that were found in the study guides and have applied it to their daily lives. Because Honorable Elijah Muhammad has said, a good Christian is a good Muslim, and a good Muslim is a good Christian. So it wasn't about labels when I would go into the brothers. Because there were people from all walks of life that had come in that chapel. So I had to have a universal approach and self-improvement is universal in its application, and no matter what your faith tradition is, you can relate to self-improvement. Yes, sir. And, and, and that's why I'm saying of you, brother, you men like you are very important because when a brother like a Steve Turnage, who is out now, a brother like a Quentin Sanders, and other men like a brother named Brother Larry, 
Brother Kasamu and all the brothers, Brother Ike and brothers I met over years, over the years, Brother Kentrell and Brother Dwayne, when they were inside and was able to see people that came out and have ascended the way you have, brother, there's no hope. You know, I can go in and talk to them, you know, but if you go in and they see where you've ascended to, brother, that's that's like confirmation for them when they see that and it's food for the soul and it's food for them and energy for them to keep striving where they are. So brother, brothers and sisters, we've been going at it. Uh, The meeting is going on on the inside of the church chapel. We are live on location, Mississippi on the move. We've gotten mobile. Uh, and we want to thank everyone for tuning in. Assalamualaikum. I hope the sound is correct uh, this week. If everything is loud and clear for everyone, type in a one. Uh, our brother Kenneth is going to be talking with some people that have been helping our brothers uh, and sisters that are in situations similar to that of Steve Turnage. And uh, we look forward to getting them to these microphones and have them share with us. Uh, brothers and sisters, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to uh, have some commercial messages and we'll be right back worldwide 24 hours a day seven days a week download the final call radio app and take us everywhere on your phone on your computer on your tablet on instagram facebook and twitter you can also log on to finalcall.com and click the listen live button or finalcallradio.com final call final call radio the official voice of the honorable minister louis farrakhan and the nation of islam What's your source for truth in news reports? No peace! No justice! No peace! Where do you turn for non-corporate driven news that's fair and balanced? Subscribe to the Final Call News, your number one free and independent news source that delivers hard-hitting national and international news coverage of today's political, economic, and social issues. To subscribe to local home delivery, call us at area code 662-252-8999. That's 662-252-8999. Visit our website at www.finalcall.com. Indulgence Bath and Body Boutique. At Urban Indulgence, we pride ourselves on offering quality, effective skin care. Handcrafted with plant-based, skin-loving ingredients, our soaps and body butters will give you luxurious lather and ultimate moisture. Experience the Urban Indulgence at 3314 Poplar Avenue in Memphis, three blocks west of Poplar Plaza, or shop with us online at theurbanindulgence.com. Theurbanindulgence.com. Mississippi on the And we're back live on location at the Shady Grove Presbyterian Church here in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. We are in attendance of a very, very important discussion. Uh, led off by a documentary entitled Redeemable Son, the story of a juvenile lifer in Tennessee. And that juvenile lifer is a young man by the name of Steve Turnage, whom I have some familiarity with. I'm sorry. 
I don't know why I said Steve Turner. That's the person that's on my mind. It's actually Quentin Sanders. I knew Steve Turner as well, but it's Quentin Sanders. Please forgive my mistake. It's the life of a juvenile. Uh, I mean, a ju- juvenile lifer in Tennessee. And I'm telling you, man, Brother Kenneth, I'm so glad uh, that we made the decision at your suggestion to be here and to be on location. Thankful that we have the kind of podcast that's good and mobile and we can move about. But I see this is 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 groundbreaking, brother, in the sense that this platform can serve this cause uh, wherever they go. All they got to do is say the word. In my mind, we can be there. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're exactly right. And I remember um, setting up this, um, and one of the things that you always stress was having the ability to control our message. Yes. Because even on Facebook, Twitter, all these other social platforms, when you get out there, if you're not saying what, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they want you to, or if you're saying something that they don't particularly want out there, which, you know, <laughs> is truth, yeah. you know, they'll shut you down. You know, you, you put in Facebook or jail. There have been many times when we were doing the radio program, all of a sudden all we could get was buffering, and you'd be like, man, just five minutes ago, <laughs> everything was fine. And so uh, what that led us to believe that, you know, we have to control our platform so we won't be edited or we won't be uh, minimized as far as with time and, or told what we can and cannot say. So mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate you having the vision and then having the wherewithal and the audacity and tenacity to do it. Because in this protracted uh, liberation struggle, uh, sometimes we get weary, we get weak, and we throw our hands up. And that is what our oppressors and exploiters depend upon. Mm -hmm. And so while the crowd here is nice and energetic, um, it should be five times as much. I mean, they should be outside. They should be, you know, uh, standing room only. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, it is because these issues are not going to make the commercial appeal. No. No, it, it, it can't. Because there are many politicians who uh, are connected to the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be uh, CCA, but now it's called Core Civic. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know anything about the privatization movement of prisons, uh, you go back and study. In Tennessee now, you have Whiteville and Hardeman County. Mm-hmm. There's two facilities in Hardeman County. You have South Central, which is in Clifton, Tennessee, and then the newest and probably the worst ran, most deadliest, violent prison in Tennessee now is the Trisdale mm. CCA or Core Civic Private Institution mm. up in, I think it's Hartsville. Oh, yeah. And it is, it's a slaughterhouse. And one, you don't have uh, adequate staffing. That is a problem. A there were people who were leaking the story and they were uh, whistleblowers. Uh, years ago, and, and while I still was there, the staffing can cannot uh, go lower than you know twenty five percent, and they was operating sometimes at seventy percent understaffed. They oh were they were mercy. they would shut down portions of the facility in order to you know just open the doors, and then sometimes they would just uh, leave us in the cell illegally because they don't have the staff to run the place. Well, guess what happened? When you don't have security staff, then you you don't have safety. And so those who prey on the weak and the vulnerable 
you know, they take control. And the officer, they there to do their eight and hit the gate, mm. you know. And, and they have a zone they can go to and lock the door and be safe and wait for help to come whenever it gets there. And you're left out there in the lines then. You fend for yourself. And so this is why, you yeah. know, again, our um, study circle, we came up with conflict resolution programs where we would try to squash the beefs. We would intervene on people's behalf. We all we said that every man has a right to do his time according to how he does it. But you should not impose your will on another man. Mm. You know, we're already in an environment of exploitation and new slavery. Mm. So we're not going to let anyone uh, become a new kind of master or Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar. Mm -hmm. And so then once we establish the peace, then we maintain the peace. So we had a group that was called the Peacekeepers. Mm. And we would make these flyers. And, you know, uh, I'm not a liar. Just, I'm just telling you what it is. We Terrible. took it upon ourselves to do this because the people that were in charge of the institution did not care. Mm. If you got slaughtered, they would lock you in the, in the room, take the body out, uh, mop up the blood, and then, man, resume normal activities. Mm. That's what it was. So we took an interest in ourselves, and, and this is why it makes a brother like Quentin Sanders, who was involved in all of those activities, he was a part of the peacekeepers. He was a part of the conflict resolution. Uh, when there were things that uh, I needed done and, and needed um, his influence and his expertise, then he gladly gave it. Mm. And so, you know, and you're not getting a salary. You're not getting any uh, reduction off your sentence. You do those things because you haven't lost your humanity. Mm. And make no mistake about it, people. When you come to prison, yes, it's a physical thing, but it is more psychological. Yes, sir. And they want to break you down to the degree where you lose your humanity mm. and your dignity. They reduce you to the level of the beast of the fields and watch you act accordingly. Mm. Brother. I want to I want to uh, disabuse someone who may be listening of a thought that I believe that may be floating out in the audience. And that thought is, you know, the audience may have heard me say, well, uh, Brother Shahi, you said you grew up in the Hillview or Chazita God. You made it out and, and you doing pretty good. And, and, and you know, X, Y, Z and ABC. Let me disabuse us of that. I consider myself a miracle, just to be frank with you. I was not supposed to make it. And I know some other cats, a few of us that come out of that, for the most part, we were scathed. We didn't come out unscathed. We just survived. The thing that saved my life was the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, straight up, because I know where I was headed. I made it out with a semblance of my sanity. I was able to go to school, didn't finish, and I knew why. As I got older, I know why I didn't finish college. It was because of the environment that I was exposed to, and I didn't have. I was lucky. I was the first to even go to college of all of my siblings, all six of us, to even go into a, a, a college dormitory, but I didn't complete it. But I say that to say it's, it's errant thinking to say that, well, you made it, Shahid. Uh, how come he couldn't make it? Man, look, if you set a house on fire and there's 50 people in the house and 10 make it out, you wouldn't look at those 10 and say, 
Well, hell, if they made it out, how come the other 40 didn't make it out? What was wrong with them? They couldn't find the door. Everybody does not respond the same to those environments. Everybody can't navigate them. In fact, most of us can't navigate them alone. Many of us are blessed to have the kind of avenues and assistance and to have the kind of people to come into their lives and help be a buffer between you and the environment. The thing that really saved me was sports. I ran track and I played football. Started from Pee Wee. And I can remember every coach, football coach I have, from Coach Williams all the way up to Coach Hancock and Coach. Those men, those were black men in the community that encouraged us, come on, son, play ball. Although all of us can do it, couldn't do it. But those that was one of the things, brother, that helped to keep me out of trouble and keep from me from falling victim and influenced in a way because I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to say without hesitation, I wasn't one of the boogeymans in the, in the hood. I was one of the dudes trying to, <laughs> trying to steer away from the boogeyman that I knew that was in the hood. You know, them brothers that are, come on, man, let's go do the ABC. You know, I'm like, nah, man, I got to go to practice, bro. <laughs> I can't get involved in that. And you knew brothers like that. And you knew where the robber lived. Exactly. And Chazita God, I knew when Memphis police, I remember one summer, brother, they came in the Memphis police, they came in Chazita God about 20-something cars deep. That I knew they were looking for Sean and Tutu Clay. All of us knew who they were looking for. <laughs> they had just robbed a quick check. Yeah. And it was a brother coming out, man, with his, uh, I think it was his girlfriend or whatever. And they detained him, thought it was him, and we were standing off. I'm like, I was about maybe nine or ten years old. Man. And we're watching, and all of a sudden, man, about nine officers just started beating that brother with a nightstick. They beat that brother until his head looked like hamburger, you know, and walked off and just left him. And that's the kind of thing that we as children were traumatized with going up into Zeta Gardens. Not only the environment, but how we were treated by law enforcement, and that's what made us start throwing rocks at cop cars when we were yeah. young, man. Had no respect so, for them. No, sir. We, did, we, did, we simply didn't. But I, I wanted to disabuse someone who may be thinking that because a few of us made it out, how come uh, Quentin Sanders didn't make it out of the hill, now the hill view, where the environment was exponentially more toxic in his time than it was in my time. And also those resources, because, you know, uh, you and I, we're close to around the same age. Mm -hmm. Sports was an outlet for us. Yes. You know, those things uh, vanishing. You mm -hmm. know, you always had, you know, the uh, police athletic league, the PAL, mm -hmm. where you can go and box, or they would mm -hmm. take you on these little outings yeah. to get you out of the environment, to, to show you that, hey, it's, it's something else out of here than this, you know, block that you're uh, living on. Yeah. Now you don't have that. You don't. The energy it. is put, again, into uh, incarceration so. and then this um, legislation. And and we don't look at it like this because, you know, but it it is a being a political prisoner almost because it was politics that increased the amount of time. Mm -hmm. And when you look at statistics, Crime hasn't went down. No. You know, as far as relative, I mean. and It's gotten worse, bro. It's, you know, with 
So locking locking someone up is not solving your problem. Mm. At the root of this problem, when you talk to uh, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Futrell from Young Man University, he'll tell you crime is a derivative of poverty. Yes. And we're not trying to solve poverty. Mm-hmm. And since we're not really dealing with the economic issue, mm-hmm. then we, we're just... You know, this lip profession, it's all window dressing, it's costume, cosmetic. Mm-hmm. And so this is why an event like this is important. This is why, you know, hopefully uh, they're doing a panel discussion now that we can get some of the panelists here yes, that's sir. doing a yeoman's work because they're out there and they're pushing these legislators. I think the DA name is it Steve Mulroy. Mulroy, he's here. He's, okay. he's out there in the and, and so now we got to hold his feet to the fire. Okay, mm-hmm. we bagged you up, man. You know, mm-hmm. now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think the thing that has to be done, Brother Kenneth, there has to be legislation, man, because, you know, as, as, as you know, us in law enforcement, we don't know all the ins and outs in the the nuances of the DA's office. We do the reports, we do all of the pretrial stuff. You know, we find out who did it, we get the probable cause, we get the evidence, and boom, we, you know, charge them and they go into pretrial. And the charges are determined primarily by the DA. The DA, they do the prosecution portion. And then the sentencing is left up to the judge. And God forbid if they have minimum mandatory sentencing, the judge's hand, as you, as you alluded to earlier, or as you stated earlier, their hands are tied. So un- until we as a community understand that if we don't get involved on certain levels, and that's what's making this podcast, I'm seeing more and more the importance of this podcast, brother, and the importance of what you're doing in regard with regard to prison reform and the things that we have in the funnel that we want to make a reality. There is no mystery, God. That's what we're taught in the Muslim, in the Nation of Islam. Excuse me. There is no mystery, God. The Ambalus Farrakhan has said to black people, the reason we suffer the way we suffer, the reason we have the problems is because we, we suffer under false ideas and concepts in religion, whereby we think God is going to, some, in some spooky, mysterious way, change our lives and our condition and make our lives and condition better. No, God works through people, and it is us who know better the duty of the civilized, the duty of the informed, or the civilized, is to teach civilization to the uncivilized. And what is civilization? It is knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the human family of the earth. And when you understand self, then you will engage in the proper use of self. That's what I would say to brothers in prison. Self-improvement leads you to self-analysis. You self-analyze and you self-correct. And once you learn the knowledge and you acquire the knowledge of self, you won't misuse your life, brother, and you will find the proper use of the rest of your life. And you will engage in proper human conduct willingly because you will fall in love with who you are. And Allah, God, will help you discover your gifts. And when you discover your gifts, you're like, man, I didn't know I can do that. And I've seen brothers, and I'm sure you have, brother. You was in there. I've seen brothers, man, come to consciousness, and they begin to read and the sense of accomplishment that comes over their face. And then when I go and visit, they're like, brother, Muhammad, man, I read this, this, and I read that, that, and I read this, that, and the other. And my only word was them, brother, stay on Sarato and Mustaqim. 
Stay on the path, brother. Keep enlightening yourself. And you can turn, even if you don't think you'll ever leave here, you can turn where you are into a better place with just the way you think, brother. But, but man, this is, this is exciting to me. Brothers and sisters, we want to thank everyone. Shout out to all of the listeners. Uh, my sister Coretta is on. Sister Tammy is on. Sister Patsy buried down there in Tupelo. Or Pontotoc, I should say. My dear sister, Sister Audrey, please be careful on the road, sis. I got your message. Uh, my dear wife is on, Sister Shahida, and many others. Who else is that? Uh, that's Brother Smith, Smith Wiley. Uh, is on. We got a lot of the new uh, listeners on tonight. We want to thank you all for tuning in to this uh, On Location podcast. We are not in our regular location. We are mobile. We are at Shady Grove Missionary Baptist Church, and they are holding a forum, a panel discussion on a documentary entitled Redeemable Son, the story of a juvenile lifer in Tennessee. And that juvenile lifer is Quentin Sanders. And the caption on the documentary, it reads, children in the state of Tennessee can be sentenced to a 60-year life sentence with the minimum sentence being 51 years, which is the hardest sentence for children in the country. These young people are known as juvenile lifers. So essentially, man, in the state of Tennessee, if you're a juvenile and you get remanded over and you commit a felony murder, for instance, and you get a life sentence, a life sentence for you is at least 51 years before you can even be considered for parole. That's not a release date, as Brother Kenneth uh, stated earlier. So here we are, Brother Kenneth, man, I'm, I'm... Chomping at the bit to hear from uh, the people that you introduced me to. I'm prayerful that they can carve out a few moments to come and sit yes, sir. And, and be with us. And I'm glad you are here, brother, to share from the perspective that you have shared from uh, uh, thus far. Because there's a lot to this. There's a lot of moving parts to it. And we really have a mountain. We have an elephant to eat, proverbially, so to speak. And there are many, 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 many stories like this. I've seen them. Brother Kenneth has lived them. And and I know for a fact that there are redeemable brothers in the belly of the beast. So as the uh, question is asked in, in Isaiah, you know, well, it's the, the, the statement is made in Isaiah. There's none who say restore. Well, we are uh, among those who say restore in the restoration of our brothers and the uh, redemptive uh, mindset that's needed uh, in this particular um, facet of work uh, is men who think like myself and like Brother Kenneth, because I'm a firm believer that these brothers have a lot of life left in them and they have a lot to contribute. And just like anyone else learns from their mistakes, these brothers should be given the opportunity, particularly when they make them as very, very young people, as juveniles, 15, 16, and 17 years of age. So, Brother Kenneth, there you have it, man. We're going to uh, uh, make the lines available to our audience tonight because the lines are available. So if you if you are so inclined to uh, uh, want to call in, you can call our, our number at 901-877-4478, and we will get you in live and share your thoughts. Uh, with tonight's podcast because um, many of these young men uh, that have 
gone through what Brother Quentin Sanders is still going through were very young, and they were not young men yet. Uh, there are studies that says at that age they're, they're not fully developed mentally. Their brains are still developing. But we live in a society where young black boys and young black people, both black people in general, are concerned. Th- there's an indifference, uh, Brother Kenneth, to the plight of black people. You know, when we get to the courts and when we get to the judges and the prosecutors, there's an indifference. There's no empathy. There's no uh, bird's eye view. They don't take a, uh, uh, a uh, uh, what they call it, take all of the circumstances into account. That's right. As to what happened to this young man. It's just they take this, this myopic, narrow view of the time that this event started to the time that it was completed. That's all they want to look at. They don't want to look at the circumstances of this young person's life, but they do it with everyone else except for us. And that is the problem in this system. And that's why um, when you look at the title, Redeemable Son, you know, they, they're telling you, they're asking the question, they're making a statement. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan says that there is no human being that cannot be redeemed. But there's a process that one has to undertake. And this society that looks upon, you know, a certain segment as, as you know, refuse or being toxic, then they're not going to go through uh, the pain and, and the time uh, in order to bring that about. So we have to take it upon ourselves. We have to take our platforms, whatever they may be, and bring light to this. Uh, this particular individual, uh, Quentin Sanders, um, if you're given this sentence, and when the, when brothers walk around, you know, we will say, oh, he got that 51. And what that mean is, and he, you know, it's over with. That is, that is really a death sentence. You're not going to live. I'm going to say this again. You are not going to survive in prison 51 years. It's a death sentence. You're, you, you're going to die. You have been sentenced to death. Uh-huh. I mean, um, you don't get the right kind of food. Here's a typical uh, meal, for example. Mm. Uh, they say you're supposed to get, let's say, 2,500 calories, uh, Brother Shahi. Well, they may give you two pieces of cake <laughs> <laughs> to help meet that. But you got, you know, maybe a tablespoon of, of powdered eggs. They'll give you milk. Uh, they try not to give you much fresh fruit because their excuse is, well, you know, they make wine out of man. Guys make wine out of dandelions. If a person want to drink, he going to drink, you know, aerosol or whatnot. But they use those things as excuses. Now, it's not that tomatoes and apples and oranges and, and lettuce and stuff not at the facility. The staff eat very well. Mm-hmm. It's why, you know, normally they come in one size and then they begin to grow. Yes, sir. If you know what I mean. Uh, I know. And, you know. <laughs> and that's it ain't just happens. donuts. Yeah, and, and, and that's what happens. But you are literally basically starved and you have to uh, use eat commissary. Now, you make 17 cents. That's the basic in the hour. And so after working a month, you may get $25.70. And, and I think that's what it, it comes out to. Mm. Now, they attach court costs and fines to most uh, after 95. People will have court costs and fines. So the facility, they were supposed to only take 50%, but they would take it all. So you would work the whole month 
And when you and then get a little slip saying your money went to court costs and fine, which is just a robbery. And so now you have created an environment of criminality because I need soap. You know, they don't give you soap. You got to buy it. You know, you got to buy toothpaste. You got to buy your toothbrush. You got to buy all those toiletries. So now either I got to hustle to get it or I got to rob and steal. It's the survival of the fittest. It's what it is, you know, and the weak get preyed upon. And we were just blessed to have certain brothers who were strong enough to set a standard and and a, a model of how we were going to do things and then be able to, through example, and, and other means, you know, enforce that. And so we can all live in, in peace because we don't have to butcher one another. We don't have to man, sit by and, and watch us lose our lives over, you know, a, a small debt not being paid or something silly. Or every person's talking about they want to be respect. So this is why the conflict resolution uh, team we put together called the Peacekeepers. And we had a flyer that we would put out, mm-hmm. you see. And it had things on there that one respect was mutual. See, people are always talking about you got to respect me, mm-hmm. but they don't have to respect nobody else. Mm-hmm. So those so-called Caesars and Pharaohs and Napoleons, we let them know, hey, respect is a mutual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be respected, then you got to give respect. Correct. You see, and then we also said that we had to have a righteous code of conduct. See, it's one thing to say assalamu alaikum. Another thing to say, wa alaikum salam, you know, peace. But the thing that uh, established the peace is what undergirds the peace. Mm-hmm. And that's having a righteous code of conduct. Mm-hmm. And that conduct was given to us by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. It, I treat you the way I want you to treat me. Mm-hmm. So I can't lie on you and say peace. Mm-hmm. I can't rob from you and say peace. Mm-hmm. I can't uh, go and try to abuse you and take advantage of you and then say peace. Mm-hmm. Because if I say peace and then I really mean peace, mm-hmm. then there has to be a righteous code of conduct. And then once we have that righteous code of conduct, that produces love. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the penitentiary into a university. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get to our three-point program, again, that mm-hmm. we were blessed to use out of the ten points of the Million Moors movement. Uh, we took three out of that. The first one was education. Mm-hmm. And the thing, we focused on the three R's. They would always tell us the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Mm-hmm. Well, we had three R's, Brother Andre. There was uh, reconciliation, mm-hmm. rehabilitation or reformation, and then responsibility. Mm-hmm. We used those three R's. Mm-hmm. That's what we used for education. Our second one, you know, uh, education was actually two. Our first one was unity. Mm-hmm. You see, we had to have operational unity. Everybody wasn't going to be Muslim. Everybody wasn't going to be Christian. Everybody wasn't going to be- uh, belong to those street organizations. Mm-hmm. But what we understood that we had a common theme. We all were locked up. We had a, a, a common value. We all wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. And we had a, all a common interest. We all wanted to make sure that we could go about the day not looking over our shoulders mm-hmm. and, and wondering what's coming around the corner. And so we operated with that. And the third, uh, and I would like to say the, it was one of the most important uh, points of our three-point program, and it was called cultural awareness. Mm-hmm. And we said that we would have to redefine what it meant to be black men. We was not going to allow the media's depiction of who we are as quote-unquote convicts, ex-felons, or whatever 
to define us. We were going to define ourselves. And so we looked at the policies and procedures of the institutions. And there's always things that's written in them that they don't want you to know. For example, they have to provide culturally sensitive uh, programs. So we were able to get black history. Now, I mean, it was a small thing to you, but being having a black history program in there allowed us to meet uh, particular times during the month. And the more opportunities we have to meet, we have to teach. And then we have an opportunity to get and purchase books because the library are supposed to house different genres of books. Mm -hmm. And you will go where it says black literature and it'd be Sports Illustrated. So we started getting different books in. Some of the books we got in, we started off with Dr. Naeem Akbar's book, mm -hmm. Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery, mm -hmm. Visions of Black Men, um, all of his books that he had plugged, uh, you know, the community of self, all of Dr. Akbar's books, and then we started getting his videos. Mm -hmm. We started getting in, you know, the final call, started getting in the, the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, uh, rich dad, poor dad, anything we thought that could develop the mentality of the men of that institution and to get them to stop thinking uh, inside the walls and start projecting and seeing themselves outside the walls. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan says development outgrows confinement. Mm -hmm. Everything in nature starts basically in a prison in mm -hmm. a confined state. Confined it, then it begins to grow. If it is nurtured, it grows and grows properly. It will outgrow the, the prison that is mm -hmm. in, whether it is a room or whether it is a seed, you know, it's going to outgrow it. And what's within has to come out. Mm -hmm. We would use uh, one of Dr. Akbar. He gave the analogy of the caterpillar cocoon and a uh, uh, butterfly. Mm -hmm. And the caterpillar, you know, a hairy worm, the caterpillar has one function, is to eat. Mm -hmm. And the caterpillar, when you see it, it it's not attractive to you. And, you know, and, and some of some people are guilty. You would get the caterpillar, put them in a cup, and, and do crazy stuff to them. You ain't know no better. But it wasn't something that, you know, you, you wanted to nurture. Mm -hmm. And the caterpillar is in a dangerous environment. It's crawling, so it can get stepped on. It can get ate. But the caterpillar goes about his, his daily function. His one function is to eat. However, Brother Shahid and those who are listening, the caterpillar does not eat indiscriminately. He eats the best leaves because what he eats is going to be used to form his cocoon. The cocoon is not made from the outside of the caterpillar. It is made from the inside. He spits up what he's eaten and then he wraps himself in it in order to develop. Now, it is important that the caterpillar eat the right type of food. Well, let's, let's use this analogy. It is important for you and I to mentally eat the right type of food, to read the right type of books, mm -hmm. to involve ourselves in the right type of program. And so while you're in there, if you're doing the right kind of things and you're eating the right mental and spiritual food, then you develop, you form your own cocoon out of the information that you have read and you're coming out of your mind and you're wrapping yourself in that. Mm -hmm. 
And when you wrap yourself in a higher knowledge, higher wisdom, higher understanding, when you come out of that, you are a butterfly. Mm. A butterfly is a celestial being. And anytime someone sees a butterfly, they just want it to land on. They hold their hand out and they hope and pray. Just land on because it's, it's so beautiful. You want to look at it. Well, mm -hmm. that's the potential of every person inside one of those prisons. Yes, if he has the right material, he's in the can create the right environment mm -hmm. and, and, and begin to eat properly, to ingest the right type of program, then he'll wrap himself in that and then he'll outgrow that which had confined him. Yes, sir. And, and that has been proven because we did it over and over again. And whether someone prescribed to everything that the Nation of Islam uh, teach and believe, those programs of self-improvement, those study circles that we formed were beneficial for the ones who participated. Yes, sir. You know, Brother Kenneth, as I was sitting listening to you, Brother, it, it, uh, it occurred to me that the effect that the right uh, food, if you will, in terms of knowledge and information that's available in a, even a prison that a brother or sister who is incarcerated can avail themselves to, that hostile environment that's called the prison can be turned into a hostile environment called a womb. And they can actually come to birth in the darkness from a real dark place because the womb of the female is a hostile environment where human life comes to birth. And likewise, because of what it's, what's there that's designed to give life, so it is with the teachings. Uh, when the teachings are in the prison, and it helps me to understand in a deeper sense why there are those in high places, Senator Kirk, Senator Durbin, Senator Peter King, who have worked to get the nation is of Islam out of the prison system because if they've gotten rid of the language of rehabilitate, brother, then they, they didn't just do that in a vacuum. They can't have rehabilitation if they privatize prisons. Private prison presupposes that you are going to have a certain segment of the population to ensure that these who are investing will have occupancy to make money. That's right. I mean, that's that's... That's, that's, I mean, that's just one plus one is two. You don't go into privatization of prisons because you are a good citizen. You're going in to turn a buck, man. You're going in to make a profit. So that's why in my studies, brother, there are states, most of the states, or really all of the states, that have private prisons. They have contracts with the states that the states must ensure that they have a certain level of occupancy at all times. And if they don't meet that requirement, some of them are upwards of 80%. If they don't have 80% occupancy at all times, then the states have to pay the shortfall. So what does that say for prosecutors? What does that say for law enforcement agencies? What does that say for the politics? If these states don't want to pay that shortfall, and this is documented, then it would behoove them to ensure that they're going to have occupancy in these private prisons. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame, man. It's, it's really... And the thing of it is, brothers and sisters, as we talk to you, and don't worry, I know it's 818. We're going to stay on as long as necessary uh, to get um, uh, these guests on uh, for our brother to interview them and get words from them. And I want to hear from them, certainly want to hear from them. But it's up to us, brothers and sisters. The Calvary ain't coming. Haven't you noticed? You have to realize we are the Calvary. We are the men and women that's going to have to make our mind up 
that we're not going to continue to sit around and watch from the side as our young people get swallowed up and bequeath to the next generation the work that we should be doing. It's just that simple, and that's what drives me, Brother Kenneth. I'm going to just be straight up. Yes, sir. I can't sit down, brother. I'm going to be busy. We're going to do our part. I'm going to do my part while I'm on this planet towards the liberation and improve the life outcomes of myself, my family, and my people, anybody who would listen. And any brother that's walking with Brother Shaheed, he's going to be walking with a brother that's trying to improve himself and everything around him. And I just firmly believe, brother, as the Honorable Louis Farrakhan has clearly demonstrated, if God be for you, chief, there's no one that can be against you. We're going to take another quick break, and uh, we're going to get these commercial messages in, and we'll be right back. Worldwide, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Download the Final Call radio app and take us everywhere. On your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also log on to FinalCall.com and click the Listen Live button. Or FinalCallRadio.com. Final Call, Final Call Radio. The official voice of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. What's your source for truth in news reports? No justice, no peace! No justice, no peace! Where do you turn for non-corporate-driven news that's fair and balanced? Subscribe to The Final Call News, your number one free and independent news source that delivers hard-hitting national and international news coverage of today's political, economic, and social issues. To subscribe to local home delivery, call us at area code 662-252-8999. That's 662-252-8999. Visit our website at www.finalcall.com. Indulgence Bath and Body Boutique. At Urban Indulgence, we pride ourselves on offering quality, effective skin care. Handcrafted with plant-based skin-loving ingredients, our soaps and body butters will give you luxurious lather and ultimate moisture. Experience the Urban Indulgence at 3314 Poplar Avenue in Memphis, three blocks west of Poplar Plaza, or shop with us online at theurbanindulgence.com. Theurbanindulgence.com. Mississippi on the Mississippi on the Move podcast. I am your brother Abdul Shaheed Muhammad, and they are starting to really, really wind down uh, in the uh, audience out there. And I think we have one of the participants that's going to come and sit with us and uh, give us some uh, further insight uh, as to what's happening. And uh, I'm going to have my brother Kenneth. He's here, and, and they just walked in, and we're going to have our brother Kenneth Muhammad. Have a conversation with you and those who he will be introducing to you momentarily. So I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to turn this microphone around. I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. Brother Kenneth, uh, I'm passing the baton to you, sir, and you are on. Okay, thank you. Uh, they just finished up the panel discussion. We have Sister Monty, she's here, uh, the one who does the documentary. 
uh, and some of the people that played the integral part of, of getting this out into the forefront of the people's mind. Uh, sitting with me right now is a, a powerhouse, a dynamo. I was fortunate to meet her at a community event, and uh, she looked at, uh, small and slight, but <laughs> don't let this <laughs> don't let the look fool you. Uh, she's a force to be reckoned with. You see her all the time when there's an injustice. Uh, she's out front. Uh, Sister Dawn Harrington of Free Hearts, uh, we're glad that you're here on Mississippi on the Move. So Thank you so much for having me. So uh, introduce yourself, Sister, and then uh, let us know why this particular uh, cause is important and why the people that's listening uh, should get involved. Hey, so my name is Dawn Harrington. I'm the Executive Director of Free Hearts, and uh, we're an organization that's led by formerly incarcerated women, and we're organizing families that are impacted by incarceration. And so the issue of life sentences, um, first of all, the life sentences in our state are ridiculous. Yes, ma'am. And actually, we talked a little bit earlier about the evolution of the life sentence in, in, in this state and how it went from... Started at 13. 13 to 15 to 25. And now we have 51 calendar years without the possibility, of, before you get the possibility of parole. And um, we don't know of anyone that's ever survived that sentence in its entirety. And so it's essentially a death sentence. And to just think that we're giving that sentence to, to kids, to young people who... Um, bottle up so much of you know potential so much that of the medicine that we actually need to heal this world to heal this land like they have the things that we need over um a mistake over um a bad decision um i don't think anybody should get a sentence like that and much less a young person and so that's why we're here today to really help to change hearts and minds um for people to really be able to see this and one thing that we've been seeing as we've been going across the state um showing this documentary it's like um people really are starting to question themselves to question their beliefs to really think about what does what does justice really mean? And I think that's uh, a powerful thing. I think that's where we need to be as a community because a lot of times uh, what we're voluntold that justice should be, um, it, it's not justice. It's injustice. It's oppression. It's exploitation. It's not um, nobody on either side is getting anything good out of it. So um, that's why we're here today. Thank you for having uh, me. Uh, no problem, no problem. I mean, eloquently said. And you hit a point that uh, I was uh, meditating on uh, this morning as I was walking around and, and trying to f uh, just understand this particular space and time. That what's going on, it says less about uh, Quentin and more about us. This is about us. Right. Us as a society, us as human beings. Where is our humanity? Because if we're not going to speak out, no cry out about this particular issue and this issue is all right with us that's an indictment of who we are exactly you see we can say the system this the system that but systems come out of the mind of individuals because mm -hmm. you can get rid of the system and not get rid of the mind that it came out of and that mind will reproduce the system exactly so we as human beings got to say this is not right 
we can't politicize this issue anymore. Mm -hmm. The politics have not served anyone. I mean, <laughs> you can go from authoring an oppressive bill and being the author of it and then be the president right. and then act like you never did anything. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we see now that, that, that politics, you know, we're just used as a political football. Mm -hmm. So uh, your organization, Free Arts, tell us a little bit uh, about that before you have to go, sister. Okay, yeah, so Free Hearts, we are organizing all across the state of Tennessee, and we're also um, locking arms with our sister organization, our brother organizations all across the country, and, and quite frankly, all across the world. And, um, you know, we do participatory defense. We're part of the participatory defense network with Director Imani as well. Uh, with Community Defense of East Tennessee, we do community building and cooperatives, just really building those cooperative infrastructure businesses, cooperative housing together, just figuring it out. Um, we are working on changing policy. We've been able to change three laws, but it's a lot of other laws that we feel like need to be changed. And most most of all, we're fighting to be free. Yes. We want to be free in every sense of the word. We, we're, we're not free until we're all free, so we're trying to bring all of our sisters, all of our siblings home so we could be powerful together, and we know that we will do it. Hey, I, when you said that, I thought about our number one point in our program is that we want freedom. Period. We want a full and Period. complete freedom. Yes. And so, hey, we good just on that point. That's our first point. <laughs> we good. So we, we can lock arms. Thank you. Uh, and we know, uh, I think uh, Brother Shahid wanted to ask a question before we uh, get Sister Amani in here because we have a few more. Let me uh, get Brother Shahid on. Peace and blessings to you, Sister. Thank you for coming to the Mississippi on the Move podcast. My question quickly is, in terms of preventive or before they get to the prison industrial complex, do, are you partnering partnering with any organizations that are working that end of the candlestick, if you will, that's uh, uh, acting in a proactive capacity? Because of course, as we see it now, it's 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 worse now in terms of before they ever get there. Yeah, I think that's very important. And yes, um, we pay. It's when it comes to kids, we pay over $315 a day to lock kids up, to have them locked up, right? We pay once they become an adult. We pay on average around $100 per day to have them locked up. We're paying as a state, um, as the state of Tennessee, but a lot of the, the nearby states as well, we're paying over a billion dollars a year. And so really, that's a whole lot of money. How much of that investment do you think we're actually giving to the young people um, before they're even locked up? With us, um, we, you know, have programs within the schools working with children whose parents are incarcerated and deported. And, you know, a lot of uh, those young people, they are, um, you know, the, the statistics say that they are more likely to become incarcerated themselves. We also do work with a lot of other organizations that do that preventative work. But I will say, if we demand that um, our taxpayer money, that um, the money that's coming out of the federal government that we're using to um, incarcerate our people, that that we get our money and then 
um, be able to, as a community, just really figure out, okay, these are the hard problems. What are the solutions? And be able to fund it with our own money. I think we could see um, a much better a much better outcome um, on all sides. Thank you. Yes, that's beautiful. Now, if someone wanted to uh, link up with Free Hearts or sign a petition uh, for Quentin Sanders, how would they be able to do that? So to link up with Free Hearts, you can go to freeheartsorg.com. That's freeheartsorg.com. And then a petition for Quentin, um, you can go to change.org and um, search Quentin Sanders. And I know Imani, Sister Imani, is going to speak more about that. But you can definitely go on there, sign the petition, go on YouTube, uh, look up Redeemable Son. um, And when you are outraged, get involved. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Sister Don. I know you're very busy, and you honored us with your presence. And keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a bang up job, Sister. Uh, once again, thank you, brother. Thank you for having that's me. That's Sister Don Harrington of Free Hearts. Uh, go on their webpage and the website and look them up and join on. Next, we're going to have the uh, I might want to say mastermind behind this, the director who did such a magnificent job on this documentary. This documentary is not uh, that long, so you can um, go to YouTube, type in Redeemable Son, and watch it. And I'm telling you, if you watch it, uh, you're going to be touched. You're going to be moved. It was uh, uh, tastefully done, eloquently, and it got right to the point. And we have right here now the sister that was behind it, Sister Amani. Uh, introduce yourself to our listening audience and uh, tell us what was your motivation for doing this documentary. Um, peace and blessings, everyone, and thank you for having me here. Um, my motivation really boils down to looking at my nephew in his eyes and knowing that Quentin was a young boy in Tennessee, knowing that all of our children that look like us can face anything and all of these obstacles, and they're not even allowed to be children at this point. So I wanted to show how our children have to try to overcome things, but then they are not allowed to be children, and then they're thrown away to this adult court system and not given a second chance. Yes, and some of the statistics that you put in the uh, documentary uh, dealing with Shelby County, those of us who have been victimized by uh, the Memphis <laughs> DA in Shelby County. Uh, we understood it, but I'm glad you put it out there that 100% mm. of the <laughs> children that was bound over in, as adults, you mm. know, African-American. So now that presupposes that uh, we're doing more crime than everyone else, that we're the only ones in the system. We know that's not the case. So that suggests that there's some kind of plan in place. And Absolutely. those of us who, who understand um, control and how you control a large a segment of a, a society that you feel may be undesirable, you have five uh, P's of control. And the first one is penology, prisons, which is taught in all major universities, penology. And there's other ones like propaganda, psychology, politics, and all those particular things. But the first thing you got to have is a place to house people. Mm. And this is why um, 
giving a child. We use the word juvenile to hide the fact that these are children. They're babies. And you bind them over as adults. But he can't buy alcohol. He can't buy cigarettes. He can't vote. He can't get a driver's license. But he can be sentenced and put away. Mm-hmm. And basically you said he's irredeemable. So the title, Redeemable Son, resonates so much because here's a young man, you know, that I know intimately. And you see him grow through the stages of life and figure it out in one of the worst hostile environments. And and I was telling the brother, I don't care how hard, you know, anybody projects themselves, nobody willfully signs up to go to prison. You don't want that kind of heat. Right. You know, you don't want that. And to go in as a child and still be in your right mind and still have your humanity, mm-hmm. you know, after nearly 28 years, that's a testament to the character and integrity. And even if um, no one, not even him, and I shared it on the podcast because we sat down, <laughs> you know, when you in the cell with a person, you intimate. And 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 I know how remorseful he is. I know how contrite he is. He's tell me on several occasions, man. I wish I could talk to that family. I wish I could let them know, you know. And he probably said the same thing to you all. And I said, son, one day you will. One day you will. You know, just keep the faith. So we are ecstatic that you all are championing this cause. This documentary, as I was mentioning on the podcast, uh, we got to get it out there. And people to see it because th- to me it is an award-winning documentary, and this is what is necessary. And if we go back, uh, people, because you know we always have to speak to that segment that we you know feel like man you know he got what he got coming. I bring up the West Memphis Three, and I'm not the kind of brother that begrudges anybody anything. Whatever you get, that's what God had for you. However, when they were released, they were released under the Alfred plea meaning that they pled guilty, you know, and they took the time without accepting responsibility. So they weren't exonerated. Mm-hmm. And so they had a reduced sentence. And if you look up the crime, it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with Quentin. They were allowed to do whatever time and then get out. And the cry, they had, you know, Hollywood celebrities coming to their aid and defense. They were saying they were children. They were too young. They didn't know what they were doing. Even if they did it, they didn't know. Mm -hmm. They had all of those things working for them. But we know many, many juvenile lifers and many who had just turned 18 and 19, which were still teenagers that got that sentence. And in Tennessee, but where's the outcry? You know, where's the outcry? We're we're starting it. Um, You know, at the beginning of the documentary, I wrote a poem called um, Forever 17. And that name um, was from a child in Knoxville who was killed in the bathroom of his school by police officers. He was shot. Um, That just goes to speak to how our children are not allowed to grow up. How they go through all of these things and everything I said in that poem People don't care, but it's time for us to highlight, look, our children are living in a war zone here. You want to give to Pakistan. You want to give to Ukraine. What about the war zones here? What about what our children and our families are going through? We're not asking for a handout, but we need you to get your your foot off of our necks, right? 
We need to be able to raise our children in safe environments. We need the resources that we need for our families to be distributed how we want, not how you want. Um, This documentary speaks to a lot of those socioeconomic factors that are ignored. Um, And like you said, Quentin is just one of so many children out here, Quentin and Almir. Um, We just, this is time for us to rally around our children. Regardless what our beliefs are, we have to stand behind our children because they are our future. And if we don't have a future, we don't exist. Yes, that is so, so very true. Uh, Sister Amani, before we uh, let you go, if someone is listening or just watch that particular powerful documentary and say, you know what, I want to get involved, how can they help uh, Quentin and, and others in that situation? Um, we do have a, um, <laughs> sorry, we have a petition for Quentin on change.org. Um, if you put in Quentin Sanders, you can go to his petition, Almir Nance. Um, you can go to his petition. You can go to cdat.org. I'm sorry, cdatpush.org, which is our website. Look up Community Defense of East Tennessee. Um, if you're in the state of Tennessee, we are wanting people to write the Supreme Court to say this is unconstitutional. We do not want this for our children in our state because we're waiting on that decision. Um, you can email those those quotes. You can mail them to us. You can go to our website and find our information um again it's see that push like c like cat d like dog e echo <laughs> c like time push dot org and you can get that information thank you so very much continue to work i pray god bless you with the right results because this was phenomenal thank and we you. need to take this at every venue all over the state and it has to this as i said earlier it's a watershed moment mm-hmm. and we have to get a tsunami effect now and, th- and if you're listening uh, from out of state, it don't matter if you live in Tennessee or not. Right. This is going on, and we got to get this and put it at the feet of those who have the ability to change. And this is why when I heard that the newly elected district attorney was here, mm-hmm. and, and I pray he was listening and, and the right people are talking to him, and we would love to get him on. But, you know, he has to understand that, you know, that the votes that he got, you know, now he got to start he responding. To He's got to yeah. do something. So continue the good work, and, and I know you're going to be successful because you got the right cause and the right spirit and the right people with Thank you. you. One more thing. We yes, are, um, if anybody does want to show this at their organization, their facility, online, we are very much open to that. So, uh, Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Rest assured, I know you may can't hear me, but I want to say that the Mississippi on the Move podcast, as I said to Brother Kenneth earlier, that wherever we need to be, we're mobile. We can get mobile, okay. and we want to be a part of this, and he's working on his project, and uh, um, we're all working together, uh, making an effort to end the kind of injustices that we see with unfairness in sentencing and improve the life outcomes of our young people. So you have a new partner. Yeah. Thank Abdul you. Shaheed Muhammad and Brother Kenneth Muhammad in Mississippi on the move. <laughs> Come on out from behind the sycamore tree. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Now sitting down, uh, share a few words and uh, give us um, 
his particular uh, piece of this uh, fantastic uh, thing. Uh, it's a brother that I'm familiar with. Uh, he's a force to be reckoned with in and of his own self. Uh, sitting with us here on Mississippi The Move is Brother Jeremy White. Brother Jeremy, uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell the listening audience a little about what you do. Uh, so I'm Jeremy White, and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I went to prison when I was 19 years old. I did 22 years in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. I got out 15 months ago. And since being out, partnered with Participatory Defense, uh, worked with Free Hearts, uh, partnered with Tennessee Higher Education and Prison Initiative. I worked with Dr. William Arnold in the Office of Reentry in Nashville, and it is my goal to make sure that the voices of individuals who are justice impacted and justice involved, formerly incarcerated, that their voices are heard, not just in the Cordell Hall building, but everywhere across the state of Tennessee. Yes, that's, you said a whole lot. <laughs> but uh, dealing with the facts, and you mentioned that you are basically newly released 15 months, I want to ask you, um, because it's been you know only 15 months, what have been some of the challenges? And then what have been some of the victories that you've encountered since you came out? I would say that the biggest challenge is... I can't find housing, and I'm a white man. <laughs> um, um, number two, the biggest challenge is, is when you're going into a room with a lot of center-right people, and you're trying to express to them the significance of change, and you're trying to say what you're saying has substance to it when you want to discuss criminal justice reform, but what you're putting on paper don't have balance to it. It's not real equity in the legislation that's being put on paper. And when I get opportunities to go into the room and be able to speak, I'm trying to bring balance to topics uh, similar to what Don was saying about the criminal responsibility laws, um, about the life sentences, about full voting restoration rights, and legislation that's really going to push criminal justice reform to make the state of Tennessee uh, the greatest state when it comes to state reform and how we can effectuate change in the state of Tennessee. Yes. Um, and the victory accomplishments? So the biggest victories that, that we've seen, um, and I'll just say I get to graduate Monday. Um, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I want you to say. <laughs> so I graduate from Nashville State Community College. <laughs> That's my biggest victory, but I will say this. The the second biggest victory is being with a group of women, uh, formerly incarcerated women, um, African-American women specifically, that wrapped their arms around me and embraced me when I got out. And not just that, the victory of having individuals that can communicate with you and they can love you and they can see you where you are and can say, look, we want to help you. We want to show you how to communicate better. We want to show you. Those are victories for me because it shows me that individuals still cared about me. And so when I know that I have individuals around me that care about my well-being, I know when I stand up and I am that voice that I got somebody to fall back on. That's a victory for me. Uh, 
yes, sir, yes, sir. And I'm sitting over here being because we know, uh, in case the, the audience, they don't know, but <laughs> we got history. We do. You know, we've been together, you know, uh, back in the day. Uh, you'd be like, hey, brother X, let me, you know, talk to you. I'd be like, man, who's this white boy trying to have a good conscience? <laughs> but, but then I was like, hey, you know, I said, hey, he legit. So when we formed a bond, and I remember I had, they had uh, kicked me out of two prisons, and I ended up bumping into your wife here. Right. And then uh, we were just looking at, I was like, man, this place is atrocious. It is. And then I, I found one piece of paper, and they, they, they got me up out of there so quick. <laughs> Man. But uh, I remember you coined the phrase, hey, brother X, man, you know, you're the people's champ. <laughs> I said, okay, coming from you, that's good. So, man, seeing you and you're doing well, and the thing that you mentioned is that sometimes you get out and you, you don't have anyone to relate to. Right. And that's why uh, what you're doing and, and linking up with the right group, man, participatory defense, free hearts. And when I was just looking on the web page and then I saw you, I said, Man, Jeremy rolled with them. I said, man, it got to be something to it. And, and I met Sister Dawn, and then I was just like, oh, no, nah, this, uh, this is something different. This, this is a whole nother level. And if you got an issue and they take up your issue. The bump down is real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Yeah, y'all rolled. Yeah, you rolled. They did. They rolled deep, y'all. I'm just going to keep it 100. They rolled deep. And that's that's beautiful, man. I'm proud of you, you know. And it's a testament of what uh, real reform looks like. And so the documentary entitled "A Redeemable Son," because society uh, says pretty much that we were irredeemable. They lock us up, throw away the key. And like I said, I was 18 months prior to them implementing that law, so I just missed it. And if I'd have been 18 months later. I wouldn't be here on the podcast with you. I wouldn't have met Sister Don. I wouldn't have be right here. I'd be me and Quinn would probably be sitting on the bunk talking about what we, you know, hope we can do. Right. And so that's why this story is important. You know, the child that came in is not the man that's that's sitting there today. Justice is not being served. It is not. That's it not. is not being served. And I guarantee you. Uh, if we can uh, continue down this road and get this legislation changed, because Amy Wyrick, Amy Wyrick, yes, that's the uh, call to arms. Call to pray. <laughs> yeah, that's the call to arms. You got to pray. <laughs> yeah. But as I was saying, with Amy Wyrick on her way out, you know got that little legislation linked up so the brothers, you know, that thought they were, may have some kind of hope getting it down from 51 to 25, she closed that. And I talked to, to some men, and, and they're different now because they're like, man, you know, you know, it's hopeless. And that's what they want to do. They want to take hope from all the individuals in there. So that's why this is so important. We got to keep pushing. We got to keep bumping down on who we need to bump down. Right. And those of us who are listening and have not yet lost their humanity, you need to come on board. So I appreciate your time. Man, you're looking fabulous. We, we Can I just say something? Sure. Um, the one thing that rings true about the African-American men in Memphis is that when the males in Memphis stand up as a collective, justice impacted, justice involved as a community in its entirety, the change that can be effectuated statewide 
um, will be such a power that when Don speaks about that, when we speak about um, the representation from Memphis, it's really the strongest representation in the state, in my opinion, not just because I'm a Memphian, but because I did 22 years and I did it with men who I know can empower other men. And when you come into Nashville and you see the room, and my like my business partner, when we went to the Cordell Hall building, the first thing he said was, don't nobody in here look like me. And it's hard when you come into a room and you got a room full of women that are standing up, but we don't have male representation. Mm. And we need male representation and real, authentic, genuine representation of men that can come in and be voices and can be powerhouses and can come in and project that kind of change. Because once the individuals in Nashville start to see this, it's going to bring, it's going to do something bigger than we've ever seen. And I tell Don about it all the time. And I just really hope that the men in Memphis, the community of Memphis, that at some point, that they'll recognize that what they did in 1994-95 with the no-deals policy, with the 94 crime bill, with implementing violent offense statutes, which really was what made up core civic because that's when men in Memphis made up 60% of the prison population. Their corporations were built off the back of black men in Memphis, period, in the state. So if we look forward, we don't need to continue to engage with these corporations. We need to build a collective, and we need to move, and we need to move now. What about now? Can we start that now, and how? Because, see, I'm being educated now because your experience, I've done prison reform ministry for over 25 years now with the Nation of Islam. And as soon as I saw this brother, when he was released, I pulled him in close and he showed me even more. But what you stated is something that's been in burning in my heart for years, Brother Jeremy, in terms of getting men, particularly us black men involved because I, too, have seen the state legislature, and I look and see, I didn't see nobody that looks like me. How do we start that now, getting the collective of men so involved in what you just stated? So my first response to that would be to support the African-American women that are pillars and stewards of movements statewide. And you can, we can speak about participatory defense. We can speak about free hearts. We can speak about no exceptions. We can speak about all the organizations statewide. And I'll tell you, when I'm in these rooms, the first thing that they say is, where are the men at? And so to start that is to communicate with these women, to be a part of what the women have going on. Because one thing about it, the women are going to come out and do their job. They're going to stand up. They've been standing up. You know, they, I, when I literally got out of prison and saw what was going on, and, and I went on behalf of Octavia, which you know right, Octavia right. is still doing time. Yes. Um, and when I went to in front of the parole board and I, found, and I met Don for the first time, I realized that was that moment. It was an intersection. 
And I said to myself, well, I don't see no black men. There was, like, it was far and few between. And then when I came home to Memphis and I was seeing some of the black men that was involved, and I was saying, well, what exactly are these men doing to help effectuate change and how are they supporting these women? I didn't see nothing. So to your point, uh, the second thing is, is that it's just not about getting involved. Because when we think about Memphis, when we think about what the perpetual systems of oppression have continued to do in Memphis alone, even when I've spoke, I have to tell the individuals who whitewash Nashville that if we want to go back and look at evidence-based information, we can go all the way back to the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis. When we talk about systems of oppression and how they've continued to perpetuate those systems. And if you want to dismantle it, the best way to dismantle that is together. That's just my That's good. That's good. Well, like I say, Brother Jeremy, man, you know, you said a lot in a short period of time. And so that's what uh, we need to do, uh, those who are listening, especially, you know, the brothers. Let's get behind the sisters. And then the sisters are going to step aside because they've been waiting. It's a, it's a heavy load. And so once you show up and get the training, come in. Don't come in like a boss. Come <laughs> in like a, a student. Come in humble. Study, be an apprentice. And then when they say, okay, y'all go ahead and run it, and it's going to take off. Man, it's good to see you. And this is not going to be the last time we know we, we uh, started back talking more regular. And, man, continue doing what you're doing, man, because you are a beacon of hope for brothers that's keeping up with what you're doing, man. And again, man, I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> and God bless you. It's great thank- seeing you, Brother X. Oh, man. And I love you, and I appreciate everything y'all doing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was Jeremy White. Uh... Of getting in here. Wow, wow, wow. I I just wanted to be a fly on the wall to hear the conversation. Uh, that certainly deserved a round of applause. We want to thank all of you uh, for being on our humble bro- uh, podcast. Thank you, Brother Kenneth. Wonderful job interviewing them which I thought was appropriate. He has history with them. Brothers and sisters, you're still listening to the Mississippi on the Move podcast. I know we are beyond our regular scheduled uh, off-the-air time, but we wanted to make sure that we got these important people in with this important information and message. And we are certainly thankful to our listening audience for staying on with us tonight. And I'll make sure, sister, I send you those pictures. Thank you all. They are leaving the room. Brother Kenneth is escorting them out. And uh, let's give them another round of applause. We certainly appreciate them uh, for coming on the Mississippi On The Move uh, podcast. Brothers and sisters, uh, that's really going to do it for tonight's broadcast. We thank you all for tuning in to the Mississippi On The Move podcast. And as Brother Kenneth is entertaining the guests that he certainly has history with, people that have helped him along the way, I am so happy to be a part of what I just witnessed, and this replay will be made available on our website, on the uh, Mississippi on the Move website. Make sure you go back and listen and tell a friend, tell another friend. If you missed it, you missed an excellent on-location program with some excellent guests giving some very, very 
powerful information. So I'm going to land this plane. I'm your brother, Abdul Shaheed Muhammad. I'm going to go ahead and land the plane solo without Brother Kenneth. He is out with our guests, and we want to thank you once again for tuning in. And we leave you as we came before you always with the greeting words of peace, and we say it in the Arabic language of Assalamu Alaikum. Mississippi on the moon. Let's go. Mississippi on the